Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Is allowed no hits through six. Fly ball back into left field with Carey. Sheets is going to go to the wall, and that's gone. And there's a line shot headed for the corner. Lowe will be waved around third. The throw to the plate, and he is safe. The ball is loose. The ball is loose. The ground ball fair. That's by the bag and up the left field line. Margot scores. But he is going to go to third. They will stop him there. It's a two-base hit. Here's a shot. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, a writer and researcher at MLB.com, joined by MLB.com national content editor, Matt Myers. Today is May 1st. It is a Monday. We are about one month exactly into the 2023 Major League season, so Matt and I are going to take a quick look at what we've learned, if anyone's playoff odds have meaningfully changed. The answer is yes. Then we're going to get into some newsy stuff. Bryce Harper might be back already from Tommy John surgery. I regret to inform you that Jacob deGrom is hurt again. And there's a whole bunch of fun stuff about home runs and the parks they're hidden and a cool new Twitter tool we put out. And then as we always do, Matt and I are going to get into a couple of guys that you might know. There will be no movie references this time. I can promise you this. Matt, we're a month into the season. It is May 1st, obviously. And I think a lot of people look at the season to date and say, well, it's early. You know, it's it's fine. It's early. And I think for the most part, that's true. Like the old saying is, uh, you know, you can't win a championship in April, but you can lose one. And so what we did was it kind of looked at the playoff odds before the season started per fan graphs and the playoff odds as of this morning, also per fan graphs. And I expected to see, you know, some minorish changes. I have to admit that I personally was surprised by some of the extremes at the top and the bottom here. I'm going to give you the, the two largest positive playoff changes in terms of odds and the two largest negative changes. Uh, the twins are up by 30 percentage points from 50% to 80 and the rays are up by 34% from 61 to 95%. That part's not surprising at the other end. The Cardinals are down by 38 points, I guess with rounding from 67 to 30% and the white Sox are down from 31% to 4%, which I will basically call 0%. Uh, how much are you putting into the change in playoff odds in terms of reflecting what has actually happened on the field? The Rays are kind of obvious, right? I mean, they've just kind of blown away the league. They're what they're now 23 and 6. I mean, I think they, they have a three and a half game lead on their closest competition. As to the Twins, which I didn't realize until I looked at the standings this morning, they both have the, the, the biggest leads 
in baseball are the Rays and the Twins, which is interesting. But I also think it's not just that. It's the gap, for example, that the Rays have built on the Yankees, right? Like the the, the Rays have an eight-game lead on the Yankees one month into the season, which is way more than I think anyone else could have expected. So I can't say I'm surprised. I think the Rays will be in a 16 playoffs. I will be shocked if the Rays are not in the playoffs. Um, but yeah, on the, on the other side, like, I mean, I don't, I don't really know what to make of the Cardinals at all, right? It's like, it's so weird to see the Cardinals maybe having a disaster season. The Cardinals, they just don't have dis- – every other franchise at some point has a disaster season. Do you know the last time the Cardinals picked in the top 10 of the Major League Draft was? Top 10, which oh, means even picking 10 – Even picking 10 is like you probably won 77 games. Ah, uh, I don't. Is it like – 1999. You are very close. It is 1998. JD. Oh, Drew, wow. JD Drew, <laughs> okay. number five pick in the draft. Um, that was the last time the Cardinals pick. And even like, and even that, it's like, it's not even, most of the time, their highest pick is in like the 20s, right? Like, it's like, that. this is just, a, this is just a way of showing like how long it's been since they had like a truly terrible season. And I don't think they will have a truly terrible season. I've got a question for you right now. If you had to pick right now, the Cardinals are, 10 and 19, and the Pirates are 20 and 9. Who do you think will finish with more wins at the end of the season? Oh, I hate that question. I hate it because it's so good. So here's the funny thing about that. I'll give you an answer in a second, but I, I want to. This is a roundabout way of getting to an answer here. The way that the, um, like the Fangraphs playoff odds work is they don't just look at what your record is right now and like compare that. They also bake in the rest of the season projections, right? So they still know, well, it's the Dodgers probably have a good roster and the Tigers probably don't, and like that all matters. And I bring that up because I'm looking at the Fangraphs rest of season projections right now, uh, and the answer to that is a tie. They project the Pirates and the Cardinals to both win 82 games, and I think that's right. Like. I, we talked about the Pirates a little last week, and I think we both came away with, this is super good and cool and fun, and yet I'm not sure how much of this I'm buying quite yet. And I think the Cardinals, there's a lot of like real concerns there. The defense has been oddly bad. Arenado hasn't hit. The outfield's a mess. I don't trust the pitching. I don't think they're this bad. So if I have to pick, I think I'm picking the Pirates, but by like a game and a half. I, it's hard to say that this month, this past month, is the remainder of the season? What would you have said to that? I think I think still think the Cardinals will end up with more wins. <laughs> I mean, it, we we talked about this every year, right? If like if the Pirates had a twenty and nine stretch in between June and July after they'd already started like fifteen games under five hundred, no one would notice. Like the odds of the Pirates having a twenty nine stretch at any point in the season is like it's reasonable that it could happen at any point. It just when it happens at the beginning of the season, we notice it. A lot more. This doesn't, as you said, the, the Cardinals have their own share of of issues, but even still, their playoff odds are still thirty percent. So, like, there is some like optimism baked in. You know, like another team, for example, you know, the Cardinals have seen their playoff odds gone by thirty, go down by thirty eight percentage points, down from you know sixty sixty eight essentially to thirty. You know, the White Sox have seen their playoff odds go down twenty six percentage points from thirty to four. So, like, that's where like. The the change is pretty meaningful, and that is one where I have to say I I I, I agree with it with the drop, and I now have no confidence. The White Sox prior to the season, I probably was a little more bullish on it, but now like I, at this point, I have no 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 faith in them whatsoever, and don't know no. where, where 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 any of this is going. 
oh, I know exactly where it's going. It's going with Tim Anderson being traded to the Dodgers in July, as the joke I continue to make, and I think I will make. Um, I, I've heard a take that I have to disagree with a little bit, which is that this now some way validates Tony La Russa because they made it to the playoffs under him. And it's like, sure, that's true. But also nobody was particularly high on this White Sox roster coming into the year. Like the defense was going to be bad and the depth wasn't there. And, you know, the injuries have happened. I'm, I'm very out on them. Um, the interesting thing to me is, so you can look at the change in playoff odds. And you can also look at the change in World Series odds, right? So the Rays, for example, have the biggest gain in playoff odds um, up by 34 percentage points and also the biggest change in World Series odds going up by six percentage points. That makes sense. The Braves are kind of fun, though, because they have the second largest change in positive World Series odds up by five points, but they're only up by seven points in playoff odds. And the reason for that is simple. They started the year at 90 percent. There's only so far to go if you are already a 9 in 10 chance of making the playoffs. And the Braves are playing well. Uh, they just put up a bunch of runs on the Mets in the first game of the doubleheader. Every other team in that division has a ton of question marks in some way or another. And it's not like the Braves are bulletproof. Like, obviously, they have a lot of questions. Um, but they are now at yeah, 97% to make the playoffs, which is actually higher than the Rays which I think tells you a little bit about the quality of the projections for the Braves and also the question marks in the rest of the East. I don't think I would have guessed there was a team better positioned than Tampa Bay right now to make the playoffs. I mean, it's you know fractions of a best estimate, really. Uh, but that stood out to me. I was I was surprised by that. The AL East is just steamrolling the league. So, like, you know, granted, there is no longer the unbalanced schedule, so it's not like the Rays are going to have to play those teams a lot more, but it just does mean there are a lot of quality teams in their division. So there is some some uh, some room for them to fall back. They're, they're playing the, the Pirates this this week, which I, I don't think when the season began, I expected a pirates race series to be like maybe like the, the centerpiece of baseball in a given week, but it, it could turn out to be. What should we call that? Is that the Adam Berry Super Bowl? Is that the uh, the John Jaha Revenge Series? There's only so many. Oh, ty- it's yeah, John, I think you mean, think you mean John, John Jaso. Uh, I probably did mean that, but I, I guess I really meant the Tyler Glass now chain but they're all hurt they're not playing anyway um there there are some teams where it's you can't just look at it in terms of changes because it's like well the rockies were at zero percent and they're still at zero percent like no change there in terms of the teams that have had the largest decrease that i think still have a shot of making the playoffs i'm gonna i'm gonna list you off a couple here um these teams are all down by at least 10 points in playoff odds and were teams that had a realistic shot to start the year yankees angels red sox guardians mariners cardinals those teams have all really hurt themselves which of those teams do you feel is the most likely to actually still make the playoffs? I wish we had an update on Aaron Judge's hip before making this yeah. this uh, this discussion because, like, I would say I would say confidence in the Yankees, but like, I mean, if Aaron Judge misses significant time, like that lineup right now, say what you want about Giancarlo Stanton, who's now you know basically a one dimensional hitter, but like when he's in the lineup, it's like okay, this guy can do damage. Same with Josh Donaldson; he's not the player he once was, but he's like. A, a real major leaguer. Right now, the Yankees are putting out a lineup that has like guys who are not really major league caliber players. I think they hit Willie Calhoun fourth the other day, and I'm someone who was like on the Willie Calhoun like train for like five years. I got off it like two years ago, though. Like it's it's um, it's not great. The lineup they're going out. Their biggest acquisition, Carlos Rodon, this offseason hasn't pitched an inning. Um, the at least is really strong. So um, th- that's. Uh, I'd still probably say I'm still more confident in them just because, like, they generally sort of figure these things out and always end up in the playoffs. But I guess um, there's some real downside there. If Aaron Judge misses even a month, 
that's like that's pr- that's pretty significant. They're they're a very top heavy team, and their top is all on the IL right now. At the other end, these are the teams with realistic odds who have increased their odds by the most: uh, Rays, Twins, Pirates, Orioles, Rangers, Blue Jays. Not all six of those teams are making the playoffs, but some of them are. Who is the least likely to, despite their gains? It's a good question. Um, I, I, you, can't, you can't say the Rangers because we're going to talk about the Rangers in a minute, and I know that's the answer. It's not the Rangers. Of the other five teams. I mean, it's probably the Pirates, right? Like, I, hate, the I, Pirates. I hate to be the I, – I, I, I hate being like the jerk about the Pirates because um, I sort of – I actually voice really like the Pirates. I think it's a, it's a great fan base. It's great history. I love their uniforms. I love the ballpark. Like, I have nothing against the Pirates. I'm just trying to put on my, you know, objective analyst hat right now. Yeah, um, the answer is the Pirates. I'm sorry to say. We're, we're going to look so bad when we look back on this. And the Pirates have had like a 96-win miracle season and McCutcheon wins MVP and comeback player of the year somehow. Like this is going to be one of those episodes where we say, you know what, maybe just maybe delete this one. Uh, maybe this didn't happen. We will take a quick break and we'll be right back on the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast, Mike Petriello and Matt Myers, we always go into a three-batter minimum. We pick three of the most interesting topics of the week, and I'm not sure there's anything more interesting than the potential that tomorrow night Bryce Harper could be in the Philadelphia Phillies lineup somehow. He had Tommy John surgery last year. If he plays on Tuesday, it will have been 160 days since his surgery. I couldn't find for sure if that is like the fastest recovery ever. But if it's not, it's got to be close. Uh, he's only going to DH. Obviously, he can't play the outfield. He's going to practice at first base before the games, but he's not ready to play that either. It's it's just DH. And interestingly, if this happens, and uh, we, we keep couching this with if because he's supposed to see the doctor later today and get clearance. So we think this will be fine, but we're not sure. Um, he will not have a minor league rehab stint. He did not play in spring training. He won't go down to the minors. And what apparently has been happening is that they keep cycling through minor leaguers through Philadelphia. Some guys with major league experience, like Jeff Hoffman's been around, and um, some able guys who haven't, just to let him face velocity. And the estimate was that he will have had about 50 at-bats against live pitching by the time he's ready. I think that says a little bit about the way baseball works now, where you can just face you know 19-year-olds who throw 98 and go to the VR machine in the clubhouse, and like that's okay, and nobody seems to have a problem with that. And there's some implications, obviously, for the Phillies, but... I don't know that the primary takeaway here can be anything other than, oh my God, Bryce Harper might hit tomorrow. That's really cool. Who would have thought? It's May first right now. I mean, it's 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 a it could be a game changer. The Phillies, they've actually, I got to say, they've rebounded very nicely from like a kind of sloppy, slow start. They've gotten themselves above five hundred. They've been playing pretty well, and this despite the fact, and I don't think I fully appreciated this till I was looking at some stats this morning, how bad Trey Turner has been. Like he's yeah. been, he's been terrible. Remember during the World Baseball Classic? Another reason why, like you know, when we say spring training stats don't count. It's like World Baseball Classic just thrown out the window. Even if it is real competition, you know, Trey Turner w- looked like the best player in the world. Pete Alonso looked lost. Pete Alonso just hit, I think, his eleventh homer like an hour before we recorded this. Trey Turner has been legitimately one of the worst hitters in the majors this month. Um, and like, I mean, it's is it, just just for for context for those who haven't been following, he's hitting. 260, 300, 374, but his expected outcome, his, his quality of contact has been terrible. Expected weighted on base of 265. Um, 
really just just you know way below average hard hit rate slugging percentage all the above it's been really bad but the Phillies have persevered they've done this Reese Hoskins got hurt which probably wasn't as big of a deal as maybe it seemed on paper and actually get, getting Harper back in will be easier with with um with Hoskins out but like credit credit to the Phillies because they've 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 kind of stayed in the mix and they're going to get Harper back and they're in decent shape although it could be some weirdness because how it affects Kyle Schwarber could be a problem right that is what I want to talk about. I'm not going to derail this segment too much, but did you know Jose Alvarado has 24 strikeouts and not a single walk yet? Like this is a guy who for years could basically not throw strikes and now he just does. It's like the coolest thing. Yeah, there's some interesting implications here because if Harper is going to DH, then you know he can't play the outfield. Well, their primary DH has been Kyle Schwarber. So presumably this would push Schwarber back into the field, which is bad, but it would take plate appearances away from Jake Cave and Josh Harrison. So that's good. Uh, the Philadelphia DHs have been okay. I mean, you know, Schwarber's not off to a great start, but he's been okay. So they're ninth uh, in batting and weighted runs created plus. Left fielders are 12th. Like, neither of these spots are total disasters. Schwarber is interesting, right? He He's never been a great outfielder, but he's always had a pretty good throwing arm. So he's, like, regained some value there. And he's obviously never been fast. But if you were to look at the StatCast metrics this year, you know, for years he was in like the 40th, 50th percentile, like average to below average, and that was fine. Uh, Last year, 29th percentile. Okay, this year he's in the 5th percentile. He is legitimately one of the slowest players in baseball, like sort of seemingly out of nowhere because it's not like he was unable to run before. And I was reading a story in The Athletic, and the quote here was, he has not moved around well in April, and it is possible he is dealing with some sort of knee ailment, but everyone associated with the club has denied that. Obviously, I don't know anything about the state of his knees, but I do know what the speed numbers say, and they're not great. Uh, he is. I'm worried about that a little bit. Like the defense has been better than I thought it would be. Uh, it doesn't help that Christian Pache got hurt because he's a phenomenal outfielder. And now, if you're going to have Harper, uh, excuse me, Schwarber out there, that that leads to some questions. I guess it's also possible Schwarber's fine and he hits like 74 home runs again in June, like he always does. But that is something to at least watch. Like the domino effect of Harper coming back and what it does to that lineup. Sure. Although, I mean, I feel like we've been predicting the demise of the Phillies because of outfield defense for like a couple of years now. And I mean, they went to the World Series last year, even with, you know, Schwarber and Castellanos out there. So they're clearly willing to live with it. I think the real question is if like, you know, if it turns out there is something wrong with Schwarber and this actually leads to exacerbating the injury and making it worse or the the maybe injury because we don't know as as you said the, the report basically said there's some speculation but the team denies it so we'll go with what the team says and you know for for his for Schwarber's sake and the Phillies sake and the Phillies fans sake you hope he stays in the field and he keeps raking and Harper comes back and baseball is better when Bryce Harper's playing so I'm excited to see him back on the field yeah me too uh the real issue with the Phillies is that Aaron Nola hasn't looked great and Taiwan Walker's having some arm troubles and all of a sudden it's like oh this is a Phillies team where the rotation is questionable and the bullpen seems really good I'm not I'm not sure what to make of that. That's not a reality I choose to live in. Our second topic, uh, Jacob DeGrom is hurt again. This is a bummer. I, so on April 28th against the Yankees, right, he threw 28 fastballs, not in a row, but like his first 28 fastballs were all between 97.6 and 100.3. His final fastball was 96.6. I'd like to pause for a minute and realize what a pitcher he is when it's like, oh, he only threw 96.6. What's wrong with him? That is the way baseball works today. And he's been great. 45 strikeouts and four walks. Like, he's been really, really good, except he left. Now he's on the 15-day IL with right elbow inflammation. This is a couple of starts after he left four no-hit innings against the Royals with right wrist soreness. And we all know the litany of injuries he's had at this point. And it's like nobody with the team is saying 
that there's obviously something wrong. And you could even look at it as saying, well, they've got two days off next week. So if you just give them the 15 now and it comes back, you've only got to use your fifth starter once. So now is the time to do it, which fine. Like I totally get that. But there can't be a pitcher on this planet who you have less confidence in when you hear like arm troubles, right? I want to ask you this. Did you know? I don't think I realized this. He turns 35 in June. When did that happen? How are we all so old? 35? That's not okay. It's, I hope he's okay because very similar to Harper, right? He's exciting. He's a blast to watch. And yet I don't know if I can live with five years of every three months. It's like, oh, Got I got something else barking. Like I'm glad I'm not a Rangers fan in this situation. Yeah, I the I mean, yeah, he didn't debut till he was like 26. So I think that's kind of what 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 throws us off sometimes. And it, it's I mean, it's a roller coaster. It has been for the last couple of years. What I actually didn't fully realize until I went back and looked today, I didn't realize that he actually made 30 plus starts in three straight seasons: 2017, 2018, and 2019, which is kind of remarkable in retrospect because even then it felt like he had the reputation of being kind of fragile. I think because he often like took himself out of games and there was always that that was the thing about him was it always felt like he knew his his body so that even like if he wasn't you know as much of a workhorse as some of the other aces in the game there was like it seemed like he knew what he was doing and that he could control these things. Obviously that has not been the case since um you know the last couple of years. I went back and looked, you know, from, from starting in 2018 which is like the beginning of like peak DeGrom until now, he is 27th in innings pitched. Somehow he's actually second in baseball references version of war in that time, which tells you how dominant he's been when he's been on the mound. But it's almost like I would think I'd rather have someone who's like more reliable and less dominant over the course of a season just because like you, you know, there are like 87 people who've claimed that they 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 coined the phrase like the best ability is availability. Um, I'm not sure who actually started it, but I think that there's like when it comes to starting pitchers nowadays, like there's a lot to that, and you just can't you can't rely on him to be on the mound. He's amazing when he's on the mound, but um, it definitely puts a damper on the Rangers' amazing start. They're 17 11. That's the good news, right? They're 17 11. Seager's been hurt. Degrom's now hurt, but they're winning, and like there's a lot of good stuff happening there. But it's hard to know what the staying power is if DeGrom is unreliable. Selfishly, I want him to stay whole for an entire season. I don't you know, care that much if the Rangers win or don't win, but I would love to see Jacob DeGrom get into the Hall of Fame someday. And he's not going to get there based on bulk. He needs that third Cy Young win, which means he needs a full healthy season, and this is not going to help him get there. You know what we need, and I don't know if this has ever been discussed. I'm putting you on the spot. Maybe you and, maybe you and Tom Tango can figure this out. We need almost some sort of like innings pitch plus metric. Because, like, to show, like, how many innings they pitched relative to league average or relative to their peers. So, we like, there could come a time soon where, like, you know, pitching 200 innings in this day and age is the same as when, like, you know, Gaylord Perry pitched 320 innings. And that, like, it might be the same in terms of, like, innings pitched plus where you can actually see that, like, compared to his peers, he actually was way more durable. So, I think I need you to get on that. Uh, July 8th, 2022, uh, on the MLB.com baseball website was an article about Sandy Alcantara and uh, what he was doing compared to everybody else. That Maybe this is too... Oh, no, I did this. Here we go. Uh, I basically invented that style last year, and I guess I didn't update it after the middle of July, so fine. I don't know how the season ended. But at the time, the largest inning pitched gap between the guy with the most innings and the number two guy since 1947, uh, Sandy Alcantara was the fourth largest gap at the time or at least was on pace for, based on what was happening at the time. Uh, Robin Roberts in the 50s, Phil Necro in the 1970s. And at the time, 
Alcantara was on pace for 30 more innings than second place Aaron Nola. Maybe I should go back and uh, update that and we can actually like put it on the site. That's We're not talking about the Texas Rangers anymore. But I agree with you. I mean, that's why Sandy Alcantara won the Cy Young year last year, right? Because he threw so many innings. Uh, for sure. And I think that that's, I mean, the, the, the Rangers have invested so much in this team, but a lot of it was in starting pitchers with question marks, starting with DeGrom. And it's kind of like, is this sustainable when DeGrom's already seems to be iffy, like John Gray, Andrew Heaney, like, I don't know. I mean, like, what are we really going to get? But the good news is uh, Jonah Heim is raking. Um, He's slugging, what is he slugging, like 600? Um, Josh Young looks like pretty real. He was a big prospect. Finally seems to be coming around. Like, that's really exciting. Marcus Simeon, who started off terrible last year, and, like, by the time the range, but he actually was good in the second half, but no one noticed because he was so bad for the first two months. He's been pretty good from day one. It's been a good offense. They haven't got much from Seager, who's been taking ground balls. He should be back soon. So, they're a competitive team, but, like, obviously, uh, Mr. Obvious over here, DeGrom changes the complexion of the team pretty significantly. Are you going out on a limb and suggesting that having or not having the most dominant pitcher in baseball is a uh, big difference towards your postseason odds? All right, number three, let's talk about home runs. And we at StatCast have been tracking home runs since 2015. Um, and each one of those, you can say, well, it would have been out of this many of the 30 parks based on the distance and uh, the height of the walls. And a quick, super mini rant here for a second. It is tracked trajectory people have this idea it's just well we know the exit velocity and we invent what the distance is based off of that it's not true it actually watches the ball fly so that accounts for wind and everything and that number has never been terribly available and now it is uh it'll be in the baseball savant game feed and there's also a fancy new twitter bot at home run report that's at home run report which i encourage you to follow immediately so that's super fun and there's some really cool visuals there that andrew garcia phillips made for us but what I did, now that we have all this data handy, is I thought, well, let's let's try to compile these and see where are the most interesting places to hit home runs or not. So, for example, where can you hit a ball that would have only been out of one of the 30 parks since 2016? Drum roll, it is Yankee Stadium. Sometimes it's fun when you have this idea in your head of what data is going to be and that it totally corresponds. 122 home runs at Yankee Stadium since 2016 would have been out of nowhere else. Only four parks have more than 20 of those home runs. Yankee Stadium. Wrigley as 95, I think mostly because of those baskets in left center, uh, Minute Maid, obviously, and Fenway Park, mostly because of the pesky pole. So that was the fun one, and um, it's up on the site, and you can go read it. But here's the number, Matt, that totally blew me away, and it is not the fact that 55% of home runs are out of all 30 of the 30 parks. The one that blew me away is what happened in Baltimore. We talked about this a lot last year. They pushed back the left field wall by 26 and a half feet. They raised the fence by from seven feet to 13 feet, and it took approximately 57 home runs off the board. And what I realized as we were doing this bot and like watching what would come out is there would be every single day, at least one, if not multiple balls. Uh, so I used Nick Senzel the other day as an example. Nick Senzel plays for the Reds. This game was in Oakland. This has nothing to do with the Orioles. Hits a home run to left field, and the bot spits out. That's a home run in 29 of 30 parks, but not in Baltimore. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. That happens a lot. How often does that happen? Well, going back to the start of last year through this weekend, there have been 427 times where a batted ball comes through and says, out of every single park, except for Baltimore, 427 times. To be totally clear, I'm not talking about in Baltimore. These are not all home runs lost in Baltimore. I'm saying in every park in the majors, just 
If it had been in Baltimore, it wouldn't. Um, that is more than twice as many as the next one, which is Coors Field. And then after that is San Francisco with Triple Valley and everything. 427? We got to start talking about this more. Like we talk about the monster. We talk about the pesky porch. We talk about the short porch. And now we got to talk about, do we have a name for this? Is there a cool left field notch name? Is like, uh, I don't know, a Boog's Alley. We Do we have a name for this? I got to find one. You know what this sort of reminds me of? Do you remember the... When when City Field first opened, and like it was impossible to hit home runs to left field, and it was like, and there was this whole narrative of like, oh, it was like it was like the, the David Wright's prime of his career, and it was like you built this park, and like you got this right handed hitter, and he can't hit home runs because like the fence is so far and so tall. I think uh, Howie Rose called it the Great Wall of Flushing, was what he yeah. uh, what he called it, and then. After a couple of years, they actually moved the ball. Like now, you if you you can see it in the park. Like they have that like that like party deck there, and the back wall of the party deck is what the home run fence used to be. And I feel like what the, the Orioles did was they actually like went the opposite way. They had the party deck, and they were like, nope, too many homers, we're taking it away. And now the Camden fence is now essentially what the original City Field was, where it feels like oh, it takes like a massive blast to to hit it out over left field, including with the kind of like almost like I don't know like fifteen to twenty foot wall. Yeah, exactly. It's not just far. It's also tall because people forget. I mean, obviously, the Green Monster is very tall, but it's 310 feet down the line. <laughs> like It's so close. And I'm I'm excited for some Oriole fan or listener to tweet at me like, yes, like we have a name. You just don't know what it is because this isn't just like an aspect of a ballpark. This to me is now one of the defining aspects of any ballpark. It's not like, you know, Toronto may changes. It's fine. Detroit may changes, whatever. This completely changes the complexion of the park. And now every time I see a home run come through or a near home run on this bot at home run report, I'm going to be like 29 to 30. That's another one. That's a Baltimore one. And when we come back to this at the end of the year, let's see, 427 in a season and a month. So that's, we're going to get to 900 ish over two years. That's a lot. That's so many. (laughs) That's so many. I'm going to go out on a limb and actually say that the Homer Report is the best thing that's happened on Twitter in years. No. I mean, that's, I mean you're, you are not without bias, but I appreciate it. Nonetheless, well, no, also, it's more of a statement. Low bar, to, low bar to clear. Exactly. It's more of a statement about the state of Twitter. <laughs> yes. Don't think I'm blind to the fact that we may have just launched a Twitter bot like days before the entire site goes up in flames. I'm aware that's a possibility. We'll take a quick break and we'll come back and Matt and I will each talk about a guy you should know more about. Back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast, each week we like to highlight some under-the-radar guys that you should know a little bit more about. I'm very excited about my guy, not just because he's crushing the ball, but because our uh, intrepid podcast producer Alex just had a root canal and he's been begging me to talk about this guy for like three weeks because Alex is way ahead of the game and I'm not. Brent Rooker of the Oakland A's, who is hitting 353, 465, 779, nine home runs, an 86 plate appearance is almost as importantly, 16% walk rate and a 19% strikeout rate. That that's great. Clearly, the Oakland A's need something to like cheer for, and he's the guy. He is fourth in barrel rate in the majors behind Matt Chapman, who's been great, Joey Gallo, who's been great, and Jake Berger, who I talked about a couple weeks ago. So we're off to a good start there. Burn Rooker has had a really interesting path to what seems like potential stardom of the A's. He's actually drafted by the Twins twice 
He was drafted in the 38th round. It didn't sign in 2016. And then he was drafted 35th overall in 2017 uh, as a competitive balance pick. That was the year the Twins drafted number one overall, and they picked Royce Lewis. So Brent Rooker basically has hit everywhere in the minors. A 909 OPS. He's kind of limited to left field DH, so you know the bat has to carry him. But in the minors, it has. He comes up in 2020, and in his seventh game in the majors, Zach Plesak hit him and broke his forearm. Welcome to the big leagues. Got into a bunch of games next year. Just It didn't go that well, right? 65 games the Twins in 2020 to 21. Had only 212, 299, five times as many strikeouts as walks. And then the odyssey began. April of 2022, he was traded to San Diego in a very interesting deal with Taylor Rogers for Chris Paddock and Emilio Pagan. Played all of two games for the Padres. In August of that year, he was traded to Kansas City for Cam Gallagher. Got into 14 games and didn't hit at all. And then I think the low point of his career, maybe aside from the broken arm, was last November, where he was DFA'd by the Royals, not exactly one of the teams bursting with talent, picked up by Oakland, right? He's been great. He's been absolutely killing the ball. And I looked into him a little bit, and I thought maybe it was a healthy swing change. It's actually none of that. He he just claims it's confidence and experience, you know, like he kind of bounced around. And I, I've seen like, you know, Royals fans and Padres fans getting upset, like, oh, I can't we you know help guys like that it's not clear to me oakland actually did all that much i just right time right place opportunity maybe just like the greatest month of his life that's possible too uh, the other thing though is um he might be a really good poster like a great tweeter i looked up his twitter um two i want to highlight here on february 11th he just said guys i feel like we should be talking more about the aliens totally out of context which i appreciate and then um this joke from november only makes sense if you understand he went to mississippi state uh he tweeted and i quote more like old mid am i right you see matt mid is something that the youths say when they want to say it's lame or bad or uncool brent rooker is not mid he is crushing the ball and um i hope he keeps it up like obviously for the a's and their fans sake like they need a good story but this is just one of those cool like you know you could be a quad A lifer for 10 years and never really get that extra chance to break through. And he, he got it and he's taking advantage of it. And I'm interested to see how much he can keep it up. It's good to see the A's getting some good vibes from a player. This is exactly the kind of player like the Moneyball A's used to have, like used to be rolling out every year, like some guy who failed elsewhere, college player who failed elsewhere, figures it out with the A's. This is like, he's like such an A's player. Um He's a named uh, named American League Player of the Week earlier today, so you know it's uh, it's a good time to be Brent Rooker. Um, my guy comes with a little bit more. I don't even I don't even say he came with more pedigree because your guy's a first round pick and my guy was a fifth round pick. But he actually entered this year with a fair amount of hype. He's a little more high profile than we usually talk about here, but I think he's not actually getting hyped enough. And that's Astros right hander Hunter Brown. Hunter Brown actually entered the year as the Astros' number one prospect. And as the number 43 prospect in all of baseball, according to MLB Pipeline. But when we did a uh, vote of our staff coming into the year, 94 people participated, voted on division winners, award winners, all this stuff. 94 votes. American League Rookie of the Year. He got one vote. One vote. This despite the fact that like he actually came up last year with the team that won the World Series and was absolutely dominant. He had... Um, he allowed two runs in 20 and two-thirds innings pitched. The Astros were so deep in the playoffs that he couldn't even get in a game. He pitched 3.2 innings in the three and two-thirds innings in the playoffs. Lo and behold, did not give up a run. Um, thus far this season, after shutting down the Rays last week with seven shutout innings, yes, the juggernaut Rays, the team that's like 
has like a 200 OPS plus as a team and everyone else, like the next best team is at like 140. Um, shut them out for seven innings. He has a 2.37 ERA over five starts with 32 strikeouts in 30 and a third innings. In 54 major league innings, including the postseason, he has yet to allow a home run. That is really hard to do, especially when you're pitching in Houston with those aforementioned, you know, short right field line and Crawford boxes. That's certainly like a fluky number. That said, he clearly does something well in terms of avoiding the battle of the bat. He's allowing a 292 expected slugging this year. He's a true three-pitch guy. He throws a uh, fastball, slider, and curve. Throws the slider the most, um, but all of them about a third of the time. The, the curve has like a little bit more of like a downward bite, whereas the slider kind of breaks into um, breaks into lefties and away from righties. I mean, the Astros, man, they keep they keep doing this. Like last year... Correa leaves as a free agent. It's like, oh, no, we got Jeremy Pena. Like, we're good. And, like, Pena, maybe not as good as Correa was at his prime, but he's probably replicated current Carlos Correa pretty well. Um, Justin Verlander leaves. It's like, oh, we got Hunter Brown. We're good. You know, Verlander hasn't even pitched an inning yet this year while well, Hunter Brown is just kind of going on in. I mean, he, as I said, he was a fifth-round pick out of, was it Wayne, Wayne State? Wayne State, a Division II school in Detroit. Um in 2019, didn't even get to pitch in 2020. So I think he might maybe lost some of the prospect hype because he barely even had any of that buildup. But um, at some point, the Astros pipeline of like talent will dry up. But uh, today is not that day. Yeah, he was the guy, and I think this got a little bit overstated, where everybody was doing these side-by-side gifts of his motion looking exactly like Justin Verlander's. They're like, oh, they replaced Justin Verlander with much, much younger Justin Verlander. I like that you brought up uh, his pitch mix there because when he came up last year, he was throwing the fastball like 55-ish percent of the time and the throwing the slider like 13% of the time. Well, now he throws the slider more than the fastball because this is baseball in 2023 and fastballs are basically death, I guess, if you're not throwing them 99 miles an hour. And sometimes if you are, I will say I like this choice. I do believe he's a little bit overhyped. He's pitching for the Astros. You know, he had got some prospect helium last year, but I'll I'll allow it because he's interesting and he's been very good. Yeah, I just I, I I guess my point more broadly is that like coming into the year, you would have thought like, oh, AL Rookie of the Year, like this should this guy should be a favorite. Like we did our poll of like, you know, experts, myself included. I didn't vote for him. I think I voted for Yoshida. I think Gunnar Henderson got the got the most votes, and Gunnar Henderson has not been playing very well. Um, I mean, if the, if the award was given out today, I think Hunter Brown wins Rookie of the Year. No, can we blow someone up who who did vote for him? Do you remember? It was uh, Jesse Borak on our pipeline staff. So shout okay, out to, Jesse, sh- shout out to Jesse. All right. Very good. The other question I have for you, uh, have you already asked Sarah Langs what is like the longest, the most innings to start a career without allowing a home run, right? He's at 50 and two thirds, no home runs. Like who has done this for the longest time? I want to know. Do do you know this? I'm going to find out now. Okay. We're going to find out. Um, And then, you know, I'm sure one of us will tweet it and credit Sarah because she's great at helping us out with all this. And that will do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. See you next week.